morning we're in Joshua chapter 7. And we're going to read from verse 10. Last week we read of the conquest, um, or the defeat, I should say, of Israel by the little town of Ai, and how Joshua fell on his face before the Lord, asking, you know, what was wrong? Um, Really actually kind of murmuring (laughs) and uh, complaining that God had left them there, uh, that they should have stayed on the other side of the Jordan, he said. Um, But we can kind of relate because we've had, probably all of us have had things in our lives where it was just so far beyond what we thought God would ever allow that we didn't know what to say and we complained to God. We we can probably all relate to that. I'm going to be reading from verses 10 to 26. 10 begins um, right after Joshua's complained to the Lord and worried about uh, the, the nation and about God's name being defended. So from verse 10, Joshua 7, 10 through 26. And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, The people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus, for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel, and you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has because he's transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he's done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of Zarahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zarahites man by man and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. And Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took him out of the tent and brought them to Joshua to all the people of Israel, and they laid them before the Lord, and Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak, the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his oxen, his donkey and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, 
and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. It's a tough, hard passage. This morning in our, our uh, Sunday school this morning, we talked about the beginning of things and how God is so severe at the beginning. Um, it was like the very beginning, the Garden of Eden. And God gave one command and said, if you break this, just this one command, everything else, you got everything, you can have anything. But this one command, if you do, you will die. And they took that, they broke that command, and they died spiritually at that moment. And the whole world has been affected ever since. Here, they're just entering the promised land, and God gave them one command. Yes, they had the commands of Moses, but on entering the, the promised land, they had one command. You have to destroy all the devoted things. 400 years, this culture had gone into depraved debauchery, century after century after century, and finally, it was time God's justice had to be met. And so God said, destroy it all and don't touch any of it. Don't take any of it back. Except for this, the metals were to be sanctified and used for God's glory when they built the temple. But here they are at the beginning of a new nation in the promised land. And, and just like the Garden of Eden, Achan rebelled and he died. Physically. Same thing happened in the beginning of the New Testament, in the early church. It was the very beginning. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to lie to the Holy Spirit. And they died, not at the hands of the people. God struck them dead. They were given chance after chance to tell the truth, and they lied again and again. Sometimes we... We don't like the fact that God can be severe, that God can be just. But part of that is because we recognize that we have failed in many ways, and we don't want that justice on ourselves. And that's what the cross is all about. It delivers us from the justice of God, from his righteous indignation. Um, people struggle with that, but... I like to use the illustration of, a, of an, a worldly judge, an earthly judge in a court. If he said, you know, I understand you ran over the little girl and she was killed, but you were drunk and you have a problem, you have psychological problems, and therefore it's not all your fault, I'm going to let you go. What does the mother think of that child that died? Think about a judge like that. See, we want justice, but not for us. We want justice for the other guy, right? We want it to be severe to that person that hurt us, but we don't really want it for ourselves. We want mercy and grace for ourselves. Amen? And there is mercy and grace for all who come to the cross. But we never see any sign of repentance here with 
with Achan. So we've come to this part um, where there's been, they've gone through, you have to think of what happened before this so you know how, how, as the scripture says, outrageous this act was, okay? They sanctified themselves before they crossed the Jordan. They said, we belong to God, we're his holy people. They cleansed themselves because God was gonna do great things among them. He parted the Jordan at flood stage. Incredible. They walk through on dry ground. Then they dedicate themselves, the men, in circumcision, saying, we're going to enter it. We're renewing the covenant with God. We're going to be faithful. And they had the Passover meal, remembering how God brought them out of Egypt miraculously through the plagues and then destroyed the Egyptian army and saw them through the wilderness for 40 years. They celebrated that. Then the walls of Jericho miraculously fall flat. They don't lose a single person in the battle. In the midst of all that, Achan decides to rebel against the Lord. You see, the more we see, the more we're accountable for. And Israel then, when they attacked Ai, they, the, they decided to do it on their own without the Ark of the Covenant, without without. God's direction, and 36 men died. And it all goes back to God was not with them because of the rebellion. Going to verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. I like that. He's on his face crying, complaining, whining to the Lord. I've heard him say this to me sometimes too, because we're complaining to God about what's happening when what happened is really the results of something we have done. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they've become, they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things among you. So the Lord tells him, get up. He asked Joshua, why are you on your face? And then he explained to Joshua the reason they were defeated. Once again, the wording here implies that the whole nation is affected by the sins of this one man. Israel has sinned. And then God revealed to Joshua the reason for the defeat was disobedience because they had taken, they had stolen, and they had lied to God. All those actions were transgressions of the covenant they just renewed. Someone had taken from them things devoted, the things that were devoted for destruction. If God is to be our God, then we should be obedient, right? If he's our king, then we should be submitted to him. As someone once said, saying, no, Lord, is an oxymoron. If he's our Lord, we say yes to whatever he says. When there's disobedience, God can't bless us. When the cursed things of the world are among us, we cannot stand before our adversaries. In that condition, we should fear to stand before God. God does not desert us as he did with the Hebrew army, but we can't go forward in victory if we're clinging to the devoted things. 
God was holding them to the same standard that he held their enemies. You see, God is no respecter of persons. Do you remember when, before they fought the Battle of Jericho and Joshua met the captain of the host, the pre-incarnate Christ, and he said, whose side are you on? And he said, neither. It's because he doesn't take sides. He held Israel to the same standard that he held the people of Jericho. If it wasn't that way, uh, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? That would be injustice. If you wonder why you have not been victorious in your Christian walk, this may give you a possible answer. Whatever it is that is of this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life needs to be forsaken. Get rid of it. Destroy it. Be severe. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, it's better to take your eye out than to go into hell with two eyes. That's a pretty radical statement. That's how, that's how serious Jesus looked at sin in our lives. Jesus died to sanctify us so that we could be vessels of the Holy Spirit and have the power of his presence flowing through our lives. If we then cling to that which is unholy, dedicated to destruction, then we're intentionally cutting ourselves off from his enabling power. We deny ourselves of the intimacy we could have with him, and we dare not stand before God's throne in prayer while clinging to that detestable thing, whatever it is. Why does God hate evil to such an extent? It's because he loves good to such an extent. Love of what is good necessitates the abhorrence of evil. God loves us, and he knows the damage that evil does to our lives. He tells us that if we love him, we should hate evil like he does in Psalm 97.10. When he commands us to love him with all our all, he's telling us what is good for us. It's not because he's on an ego trip. It's because he wants us to love what is good and holy and righteous and true. Verse 13, he says it again. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Just like they consecrated themselves before they went into the promised land, he's saying you need to re-consecrate yourselves. So what do we do about our condition? Well, we quit laying on our face, praying and complaining to God For first. We get up. And we consecrate our lives anew. Thank God he's faithful because as somebody uh, quoted this morning, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Throw away the vile things that have stolen our heart away from God. If it, is it pornography or lust or drugs or anything that God has told you to forsake? If you refuse to surrender it, you won't be able to be victorious in your Christian walk. Once it's removed, 
you can consecrate your life again to God and intimacy with him is restored. Isn't it so wonderful? In, in Zechariah, he says, return to me and I will return to you. He, he doesn't leave us. We leave him. But when we return to him, he's there. The power of the Holy Spirit is present again and the life of Christ can flow through us. What follows is God's plan then to expose the sin in the camp. Sometimes we need God's revelation of how to break free, how to, how to find those devoted things that need to be destroyed. Usually it's simply forsaking it with the help of God. Some people can't own a computer. I think uh, we witnessed that in, if you saw the movie Fireproof, you know, he struggled and struggled with pornography and finally he had to take his computer out in a baseball bat and beat the thing to death <laughs> because he couldn't, he could, it was a temptation for him and he needed to break free from it. Some people can't have a TV because of temptation. Others have to go, stop going certain places like the liquor aisle in the supermarket because you take yourself there and you know the temptations there. So you have to avoid it. Coach McCartney said, know where your line of temptation is and don't see how close you can get to it. Stay 10 yards back. In every case, the battle is for our minds and hearts. We must expose the lie of Satan that tells us it, it, that it's okay for you because your particular disobedience is really that bad. And besides, you really need it and no one's going to find out. It won't hurt anybody. This story tells us that is not true, that it's a lie, that our sin hurts all of us. But as we have seen, each of us is affected, affects everyone else in the body of Christ. Joshua 7, 14 and 15. In the morning, therefore, you shall, be brought, you shall be brought near by your tribes and the tribe that the Lord has taken by lot shall come near the clans and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households and the households that the Lord takes shall come near man by man and he who is taken from the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he's transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he's done an outrageous thing in Israel. So God was going to point out the man who rebelled against his command. Now, I imagine that when Achan heard this, he was like, how do I get out of here? In fact, I wonder if he started trying to sneak off and someone caught him. His heart must have been pounding, especially as they chose the tribe and then his clan and then his household. The one who, devo who had the devoted things was to be burned with fire. And now the one who has chosen to take them had in effect made himself and all that was his a part of those things devoted to destruction. Achan's act was outrageous because it was done after all the amazing miracles and the covenant re renewal. 
And obviously God was present in the parting of the Jordan, in the walls of Jericho falling, and only Rahab's house being the only wall that stood. Amazing. And so it is outrageous that in the midst of all that, he would defy the God who he just recommitted himself to days before. But is it any less outrageous that we who know of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and have entered into the new covenant to be holy vessels to the Lord and yet still defy his commands? This rebellion reminds me of the first sin. We mentioned this a little this morning. Adam and Eve had everything they could want, a perfect environment, a perfect spouse, and God walking with them in the garden, speaking directly to them with only one, one thing forbidden, the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have to have options or love is forced. And, and real love cannot be forced. Adam and Eve didn't know what evil was, and choosing to disobey the only command opened their eyes to evil. And from then on, there was a distinction between good and evil. No longer was their instinct to do good. They could then choose to do evil at every turn. And sadly, we inherited that condition. Achan chose to do evil and it affected the nation just like Adam and Eve sinned. It affected the world. Verse 16 through 18. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken and he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near the household man by man and Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah was taken. I just now realized though, as I was reading it when we first started, that actually the lineage of Achan is given three times in this passage, not in this one, but also in the previous passage. We have one in the previous and twice here, which emphasizes how we affect our family, our family's name. When Joshua got the instruction as to how to deal with Jericho, he rose early, it says, that next morning to obey. And now here's another battle. It's just as important as that one of Jericho, but it's an internal one. And Joshua has the same eagerness to obey. This internal battle of the spirit was going on during the battle for Jericho within Achan's heart. And now Joshua is aware of it. While one battle was won, another was lost. And it was manifested in the defeat at Ai. God made the nation aware so the rebellion wouldn't spread like cancer throughout the nation. Um, I don't want to get into it, but I can just say I've seen this happen in churches where sin is tolerated and it just spreads throughout. The choices were made by lots. How, how, which tribe? They put the 12 stones in a jar 
Each one was for a unique tribe, one of the 12 tribes, so that when they picked it out, they knew which tribe. Sometimes somebody would reach in and pull out one of the sods. Sometimes they'd shake the jar until one fell out so that the choice wasn't man's choice. It was God. So that no one could say man did that. It had to be God alone. We see that once in the New Testament, but never again. Because we have the Holy Spirit now to help us discern. So they, by lots, they randomly came down to Achan. It shows that God's in charge of each choice. And it also showed the people it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with any human input. God alone exposed the sin in the camp. And the scripture tells us nothing is hidden from the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, if you're walking with Jesus, you can say hallelujah. But if there's one of those forbidden things, that should put the fear of God in you. And it put a healthy fear of God in the congregation of Israel. This event reminds me of the Last Supper, you know, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And the disciples said, is it me, Lord? Everyone was searching their heart to know whether it was them. Is my heart wholly dedicated to God and his service? Have I really been obedient? Is there an ounce of selfishness or selfish betrayal in my heart? Verse 19, and then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. This phrase, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him praise, became um, like an oath in Israel to command people to tell the truth under the penalty of, of God's wrath. Um, it, it, we see it used by the Pharisees when the man who was born blind uh, came, came to them and they demanded who had healed him. And... Uh, it would have also been the oath that the high priest commanded of Jesus in Matthew 26, 63. They said, tell us the truth. Are you the son of God? They probably used this same uh, formula from Joshua. And Jesus said, you say that I am. And then Jesus quoted from the prophet Daniel that says all the world will worship him. So even Jesus honored this kind of oath. Verse 20 and 21, and Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them. I took them and see they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. I saw, I coveted, I took. They are hidden. Here's exactly the same anatomy of temptation and sin that we witnessed in mankind's first great disobedience in the fall. I saw, I coveted, I took. When Achan broke the 10th commandment to not coveted, he went on to break the 8th to not steal. His theft was of things that were to be in the temple treasury, it was God who gave the victory. The spoils belonged to God. 
he literally stole from God because he had another God. Material things. That was breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now we've all experienced the same conflict within us. God tells us not to do something. We see it. Desire grows. And sometimes we act in disobedience to the God who loved us and gave himself for us. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who convicts us before we give in to desire. He satisfies our hungry hearts when we take time with him. Amen? Then, if you're satisfied with God, if you're spending time with him, if you're in the word, if you're in prayer, and God has filled up that need within you, that Babylonian robe and that chunk of silver and gold don't look so like you have to have it because you already have the need met in you. He hid those objects in his tent. What, what did he think he's ever going to get to wear it? You know? And isn't that like sin? It tempts us to do something that we have to hide from everybody because we know it's wrong. Wouldn't someone ask him, hey, where'd you get that robe? Wow. Sin is so unreasonable. The very possession of a thing will not bring joy. Joy, deep in your heart, abiding joy only comes from Jesus. Instead, it, it brings worry that someone's going to find out. It brings guilt that we disobeyed. Is there something hidden in your tent? The Bible compares our body to a tent, and sometimes there's something hidden inside, in our hearts, some lust that we secretly wish for. The lie of Satan is that having that thing is going to give you joy. It never does. And so we have this battle within us going back and forth. We have to expose the lie of Satan that tells us that sin is okay because our disobedience, our particular thing, is not so bad. He tells us no one else is going to get hurt, but they always do. I'm sorry, my computer jumped to the beginning. The opportunity comes and then you take possessions of it and find out it's quickly a fading pleasure and doesn't measure up to our expectations. The consequences are more costly than we could ever have imagined. We should have learned a lesson from childhood. You know, how you're just so excited about that Christmas present and you can't wait till they say, okay, it's your turn, unwrap it. And you rip it open and you open it up and you're so excited. And then about three months later, it's not that big a deal anymore. And then it ends up in the closet and give it a few years and it'll end up in the yard sale or the trash. And we're on to the next thing. When's my birthday coming? Because I got another idea, something that's really going to please me, right? 
And it does for a little bit, but not for long. They never live up to the promise. And often, as in Achan's case, they end up in destruction. Verse 22, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them before the Lord. The evidence was revealed. The enemy's lie is often, hey, no one's ever going to know, but the scripture says, be sure your sins will find you out. Be sure it will be discovered. Verses 24 to 26, And Joshua and all the people of, and all Israel with him took Achan and the son, the son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, the oxen, the donkeys, the sheep, the tent, and all he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor. Thirty-six men died because of Achan's sin. He made his family and possessions part of the things devoted to destruction. And as far as we know, he never pleaded for mercy. Achan means trouble. The valley was called the Valley of Trouble to remind them that when we rebel against God, we're not only troubling ourselves, but our family and all those with whom we are part. No man is an island. We all affect one another. The Apostle Paul wrote, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Holiness was restored. Sin was removed, and now the nation could continue to take the land and see the fulfillment of the ancient promise. But what a gripping warning is presented in this account. You know, they had the memorial stones when they crossed the Jordan. They set up those 12 stones, remember? Now they have another pile of stones. The first pile of stones said, look what God did for you, how he parted the waters for you, how he kept that promise that he gave to Abraham hundreds of years earlier, and now he's fulfilling it. The next pile of stones says, but don't be disobedient. Don't rebel against God. What a gripping warning is presented in this account. The New Testament church now is very different. We are not a theocracy like Israel. God doesn't speak in the way that he did then. We have the word of God and the Holy Spirit. We don't try to hunt out sin in our congregation, but often God will expose it. And there is such a thing as church discipline and restoration, thank God. No matter how one tries, sin cannot remain hidden. In the beginning of the church, something similar happened. It's recorded in Acts 5 through 11. I mentioned that earlier. The church was off to an amazing start. Uh, the spirit was poured out. Miracles were happening right and left. And that couple, Achan and Sapphira, or Ananias and Sapphira, decided to lie to the apostles and to the Holy Spirit, and they died. How God's justice calls us to a holy life. Jesus warned us in Luke 12, 15. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. 
realize how our lives affect others. The more we have seen God's miraculous work and the more we know of his word, the more accountable we are. By the grace of God, let us be a blessing to the body of Christ and our family and community in which we live. Let us have lives that are joyfully obedient to our Lord because of his eternal covenant with us. Let us find our satisfaction in him and his word so that nothing can compete for our desires. Let us help one another do battle in this internal war of the spiritual realm that turns our eyes from Jesus and loving one another. Instead to greed and selfishness. We all deserve Achan's fate for we have all coveted worldly things and been disobedient. But that's why Jesus came. Amen. God is ruthless with sin because he's holy and he loves us. Sin is destructive to us. Its earned wages are death. But in mercy and love, Jesus took the punishment we deserve. That's what we just celebrated earlier. Instead of looking at a pile of stones and remembering Achan and his disobedience, we look to the cross and remember Jesus' obedience in our place that brought us mercy and the grace of God. We become ruthless with sin in our own lives, not because we fear judgment, but because we realize what this new covenant cost the one who sealed it with his own blood. Instead of the Valley of Achor, which means trouble, we have the Hill of Calvary, which is our spiritual place of victory, where we died to our old self with Jesus. We look at the empty tomb and claim that resurrection life in him is ours now. And as we keep Jesus first in our lives, let's go in and take the land, bringing souls of men and women to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Whew. What a chapter. And what a warning. But what a promise we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your holiness. We would not, I would not, and I'm sure most here would not want you to be anything other than just and righteous and true and holy. But we thank you so much, Lord, for your mercy and grace. We sang just before about praising your name. Your name is worthy and your name is the total of your attributes. And they include those two sides of justice and righteousness, of grace and mercy. We thank you that they're balanced in you and demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Help us, Lord, be more like you. Thank you for the warning. Thank you for Jesus' warnings, and thank you for grace and mercy. As we go, Lord, I pray that if anyone here is struck by something that parallels the devoted things, the things devoted for destruction, and your Holy Spirit has pointed them out in their hearts, I pray that today you'd help them walk away from them once and for all, forever by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us.
that they'd experience that new life of Christ, that resurrection power that says you can by God's grace. You can by that power. And that they'd find someone to be accountable to, to constantly be checking them, that they're free, that they're walking in that freedom by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for our time of worship this morning. Thank you for each one that's come. I pray you'd go with us, Lord, that we'd see you in the little details of our lives and that we'd enjoy you in the little acts of obedience throughout the day. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you his peace. Amen. God bless you.